Let's, let's jump into the word of God this morning. Last week, I started a, just a two-part thought on the unshakable nature of our God. It's something I felt the Spirit of God was impressing upon uh, me on behalf of this church as I think many of us are coming into new seasons in life. And new seasons always bring its own degree of disruption. And so we find ourselves in a new place and I felt like it would be smart for us to uh, reroute ourselves on the unshakable nature of God. So last week, if you missed it, what we talked about was the one core central confession of your life. Determining what that is, because that core confession will impact the direction of everything else you build in life. And if you're building on the world, that core confession will fall apart under pressure. But if you're building on the rock of Jesus Christ, as Peter said, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. That is a foundation stone that can support the weight of your life. Because if Jesus is the son of God, then every word from his mouth is trustworthy and true. Which means you can build your life upon the word of God and he will not steer you wrong. In other words... We build a life that becomes weatherproof because sand doesn't do well under the pressure of the wind and the waves. Somebody came up to me at the fall festival and they said, hey man, I'm sick of the sand. And I said, I'm sick of the sand too, which is why we in this house build our lives upon the rock of Jesus Christ so that our lives can withstand the storms of life. And that's the thought I want to stay in today is this idea and this issue of the storms of life, when the wind blows, when God shakes things up for us. Because like, if I'm honest, I get like we all have to have some storms in life and like one every few years would be fine, you know, just to keep us on our toes, keep us humble, help, you know, we'll grow a little bit through it. But I don't know about you, I don't really feel like I have a storm every few years. I feel like I have a storm every few days. And I'm kind of just going to God like, hey, it seems like the weather's like kind of terrible. Can you do something about that as the one who commands the winds and the waves? And so I want to talk today about what the purpose of the shaking is or the purpose of the storm. What is God doing in the midst of this? Because he seems to be allowing things into our lives. And if he's allowing it, then there's got to be a good reason for it. And I just want to encourage you before we get into the word today that the Lord your God has made you and designed you to be unshakable. And my prayer for us is that we would leave here today with this confession, that if my God is unshakable, then I will be unshakable too. Amen? Amen. The title of this message is Unshakable. We will be in Hebrews chapter 12. You can stand with me as we prepare to read the word of God. This is Hebrews 12 verses 26 through 29. This is the word of the Lord. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray to this God. Lord, we love you. Holy Spirit, come and have your way among us today. Reveal yourself as you truly are to us. Show us, God, what you are doing in the middle of the shaking. Help us to see you with new eyes today. 
Lord, we're looking to you for revelation. So give us eyes to see, ears that can hear, and a heart that could understand what the spirit of the living God is saying to us on this day so that we would hear you and turn and be healed. Father, meet us in this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Say amen. Amen. You can be seated. Book of Hebrews uh, that we read from is an interesting book in the Bible. It's a little bit unlike the other books in the Bible. Um, We don't know who the author of this book is. We assume they walked very closely with Jesus or at least very closely with the disciples who walked very closely with Jesus. We also believe they uh, were very familiar and educated in Jewish tradition and in the Torah and these things. And one of the literary techniques that the author of this book uses is he uses these uh, comparisons and he compares and contrasts Jesus with some of the like foundational cornerstone traditions and beliefs of the Jewish faith. So he will compare Jesus to things like angels or the Torah, to Moses and the promised land, to the role of the priests and the whole sacrificial system of the day. And what the author is trying to do is he's trying to show how Christ is not only superior to each of them, but he's actually the fulfillment of all of them. And that everything God had established previously for the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, was all intended to point to the one that was coming that would fulfill everything God began. And in order to get them to see a new thing, he had to show them the old thing. He's trying to show them that Jesus comes to establish a new kingdom on the earth. That was Jesus' message, if you know, from from the jump, from day one. It was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus preached about the kingdom of God almost exclusively. That it was happening and coming here, and it is on its way, and its arrival is imminent. And this kingdom is immovable, it is unchangeable, and it is unshakable. But when you've grown up your whole life believing one thing, it's hard to adopt a new belief. And the author knows this, which is why he's holding these two things up next to each other to compare and contrast what was with now what is. Because he knows it's hard to appreciate how good a new thing is until you compare it with an old thing. It's like, have you gotten a new cell phone ever? And you did not realize how slow your old phone was until you got a new one. And you had forgotten about how chipped up and scratched up your screen was until you got a new one. And all of a sudden, this new one has battery life and power that the old one didn't. And it wasn't until you got your hands on something new that you realized how broke the old one was. Ever got a new pair of shoes? I know for some guys in the house, we don't buy shoes all the time. And so we have that one favorite pair of shoes that we wear all the time. And then at one point, we finally replace it. And we realize that those old shoes weren't broken in. They were busted up. And now we've got a new shoe and we didn't realize how good the new is until we compared it with how bad the old was. I'm just saying it's hard for us sometimes to see the new thing until we can recognize the old thing. God is trying to do a new thing. He's trying to reveal to us a better way and provide to us a greater grace. But many of us can't see it because we're comfortable with the old ways we're currently living in. You see, many of us are more comfortable with our current dysfunctions than we are with the idea of confronting the change required to step into something new. And if we're really honest with ourselves, some of us don't even want to change because we know what that change would cost us, what we could no longer do, no longer experience, no longer have. And so we settle for the dysfunctions we know instead of the disciplines that we don't because we're not sure that we'll like it better on the other side. 
And we're not sure if we believe and trust that God truly has a better way. And so what we do is we don't readily step into what God has for us. Sometimes we kind of tiptoe in and and half step in and kind of hesitantly kind of approach it and then back off. And we're like, maybe a little bit, maybe on the weekends I'll do it, but not on on the weekdays. And, and, And what God will do when we're not committing to what he's calling us into is God will shake up our lives and cause us sometimes, this is a new thought, to fall into his will because he wants us moving forward into the good new thing that he has for us, not the old way that it was. So when God begins to shake up our lives and the ground beneath our feet begins to shift and move, we have to then honestly confront the question of whether or not we believe that the way it's always been is better than how good God promises it can be. And a lot of us aren't sure that what God has for us is better than what we currently know because we can manage what we currently know. We've learned to live with it and we found rhythms and habits and behaviors that accommodate it. But stepping into something new can be scary. It can be uncertain. And so sometimes God has to to shake things up. Um, I believe that the purpose of the shaking is always to reveal something new to us. This This is what our passage says. It says, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Yet once more, I will shake. That's the voice of the Lord saying that he is the one who is in charge of the shaking. So for us, it's important to remember before we get scared of these seasons of shaking, who is in charge of the seasons of shaking. The source of the shakeup. The Lord your God says, I will shake. I will shake. So lest we get afraid, because I know sometimes some of you, you hear messages like this and it's all about the unsteady ground beneath your feet and the sudden diagnosis and the shifting and the shaking. You're like, oh my God, why do we have to hear this message? That means so much bad is coming. What do I do? Just remember before you slip into fear, the sovereign and the safe hands who hold and control the shaking that is over your life. God knows, he knows where you're at. And this is not a sudden, combustible moment. This is a controlled shake because he has a purpose he wants to accomplish in your life. I believe that the Lord your God wants to bring you into a new reality, a new kingdom, and a new life that is marked by new mindsets, new attitudes, and new actions. But in order to bring us into something new, he's got to shake off what is old. The Bible says some things need to be shaken off so that which is Permanent and unshakable will be what remains. So there is purpose in this shaking season. I was praying for this and I felt like there there, there were four things I wanted to highlight today. Four things that shake in our lives. When we see things shaking, I believe it's typically it's one of these, these four things. The first is things that are insecure and unattached. If you were to take a jar with, you know, loose items in it, like, you know, a, a jar of rice or dirt or whatever, you could, sh- you, 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 you could sh- like water, you could shake it up and what's inside will shake because it's not secure. If you've got a banister in your house that you still haven't fixed over those many years, <clears throat> uh, it's just a reminder to do that. But, but you, you know, when you grab it, because it's not firmly attached to something, it shakes and it moves in a way that it's not supposed to shake and move. Oftentimes, God will allow us to come into seasons of shaking, not because he's mad at you, not because he's punishing you, but he's trying to highlight the areas of your life that are insecure. 
in the things that you're guarding from him, the things that you're protecting from him, the things that, that you're not applying faith to in your life, the areas of weakness within your soul that you're insecure about. So when something in life touches that area, it's like everything in your life begins to shake and fall apart. And God in his gentleness is just going like, that might be an area where you're, where you're not secure, where you're not attached. You know, the water in the bottle shakes not because it's in the bottle, but because it's not attached to the bottle. The reason some of y'all's lives shake is because you are in the church, but you're not attached to the church. So you might be where you're supposed to be, but you don't have the relational connections to tie you in through a small group or a service team or a relationship with a pastor. And so what happens is life shakes you up and all of a sudden you're going, but God, I'm supposed to be where I am. And he's going, but you're not attached to anything. You're insecure and unattached. And God is just saying, I just want to show you that to lead you into a place where life doesn't shake you up so much. You know what else shakes? Things that need to be woken up. Uh, does anybody have a teenager in the house? <laughs> and you know, no alarm clock, no light from the window, no noise, music. Shouting their name is going to get them up until you get in there. And what? You get your hands on them and you shake them awake. Because sometimes we are so deeply asleep that the only thing that will wake us up is for God to get his hands on us and shake us awake because the devil wants to lull you asleep. He wants you in your life, in your feelings, in your entertainment, in your social media, in your needs, and he lulls you to sleep so you no longer pay attention to what's important around you. You just go to sleep on it. And he'll leave you there as long as you want to be there. He's not going to bother you if you're sleeping. So sometimes the Lord your God says, I need my church to wake up. So yeah, I'm going to let some things slip in. I'm going to let some things stir up in their life because I need them on their P's and Q's and up on their toes alert to the work of the devil in this community. Not falling asleep and looking at themselves. Sometimes we get shaken because we need to wake, we need to wake up. You know what else shakes? Things that are losing control. You ever laugh so hard you shake? <laughs> or cry so hard you shake? You could drive a car so fast it shakes. I've never done that one, but I have pushed a stroller so fast, the wheels shake like, like a shopping cart. If you're not using a running stroller, you cannot push them very fast. You cannot run with the kids. So, um. But all of those indicate you moving at extreme pace or experiencing extreme emotion or doing things to such a degree that you can no longer uh, retain control over them. So you laugh so hard, what do you do? You lean into somebody for support. You cry so hard, you need a hug from somebody to hold you up. You drive so fast, you grip the wheel tightly. And sometimes we are doing so much in our lives, all the time with so many people, so many responsibilities. We're not resting, we're not balancing, we're just going, 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 trying to make everybody happy and do everything around us that it feels like we can't keep control of our lives. Things are always slipping left, right, and center, and I just can't keep all the plates up at once. And the Lord is going, yeah. You are out of control beyond your capacity. You've exceeded the limit. My question for you, what are you going to reach on to for support? Because sometimes there's a shaking when we lose control. And God wants to know, what are you going to grab on to when you lose control of your life? It's a test for us to see what we see as that which is secure for us. 
There's one more idea I want to share with you briefly, which is that sometimes what shakes is, is dead things that need to be removed. So we're in that season now of fall where the leaves turn color, they die, the wind blows, the trees shake, the leaves fall. The plant remains, but the leaves that are dead will fall. All of us have belief systems, thought patterns, addictive behaviors, false perspectives, all kinds of things in our lives that are dead. They're old, they should be in the grave. They have no part of being in your life at this point anymore. Jesus died to make you a new creation, but we're still holding on to dead things. So sometimes a season will come where God shakes us up because he wants those dead things to fall off of us. So what remains is that which is the imperishable seed of God in the gospel. This is where I just for a moment want to revisit my analogy from last week which is that I feel that many of us, I don't feel this, I know this, I've lived in this place. We have that foundation stone of Jesus at the center of our lives. We gave our lives to Christ a long time ago. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And at the core center of our being is that one singular confession of faith. But we haven't built very well on it. We've allowed other things into our mixture and into our soul. So you can feel like you're doing pretty well because, yeah, at the center, man, I got Jesus there. But you've allowed so much sand in your life that when the season of shaking comes, you can't even see Jesus in it. All you see is all the reasons why not, why this shouldn't happen, why it's unfair, why it's wrong, why, why there's got to be some explanation in the world for why this is happening. And what God is doing is he's shaking up your life so that the sand will fall and one thing will remain. And the question is this, when you are looking for a reason to make it make sense, when you're looking at your experiential life, when you're looking in the news, when you're looking to friends or culture to make what you're going through make sense. There are some times when you know you've been there, you just can't. You can't make sense of it. Like there's no explanation. You can't even see a good redemptive purpose on the other side. You just know it is bad and painful and hard. And God is saying, yes, there is one thing left in your soul. Do you or do you not trust me? Because you said I was the Lord of your life and you said I was the savior of your soul. And if I am the Lord, your God, then my word is sure. So do you or do you not trust me? See, sometimes there's dead things in our life that need to be shaken off of us to expose the one insecurity within us, which is, I don't know if I trust God as much as I need to. I don't know if I've thought about it in those terms or not. That type of confession, that type of life lived upon the rock of Jesus requires faith. To live an unshakable life, you've got to have faith. And typically faith can be hard to come by when you're in a season of great shaking and disruption, is it not? Because you don't really feel full of faith and full of, full of excitement. And so what we need to do as the church of Jesus Christ and in these moments in our personal lives and when we go through them collectively and as a community or just with others is we need to ignite and inspire our own and one another's faith. Because you have to have faith to make a confession that says, yes, I can't see it, I don't understand it, I really don't like it, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I trust you. And in my trust of you, I'm not going to carry worry and anxiety and fear. I'm just going to carry a peace that passes my ability to understand it because my life is built on my trust of you. And that confession takes, takes faith. So how do we inspire and ignite 
our faith. I think the Bible in our passage, it actually answers this for us. I believe that we can spark and ignite our faith through gratitude. Verse 28 says, therefore, in light of all of the shaking, let us be grateful that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I believe that gratitude can be the key to unlocking your faith. I read a study here recently by Harvard Health on the positive impacts of expressing gratitude. You may have heard some of this research before. People are talking about it um, a bit, but um, some researchers, some doctors did this as their study to see what effects a lifestyle of gratitude has on a person. And so they had people who every day reflected in a daily journal or just spoke a confession at the end of every day of everything that they were grateful for. People, another group would, uh, things, that they, things that were wrong in their life, and a third group that would just, without sentiment, just talk about what happened that day. And the results from the group of people who daily expressed gratitude include the following. People who daily practice gratitude sleep better at night. They have better physical health. They have better gym attendance, somebody. They have stronger relational bonds, especially within marriage when you express gratitude for a spouse. They experience reduced pain, and they have a more optimistic outview on life, outlook on life. We know the benefits of expressing gratitude. And let me just for a moment, and this is not a bit or a joke, but I felt really led by the Lord just to take a moment to do this. But let me just to you, Grace Covenant Church, say thank you. Like genuinely from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because when we say you are the best church ever, we're not speaking in hyperbole. We love the presence of God and we love to worship him. And you show up here every Sunday and every Wednesday full of faith, desiring an encounter with the living God. You lift up his name and you dance and you lift up your hands and you shout and you usher the presence of God into this space with us. And I just want to say thank you for the way that you love the Lord. For those of you who serve in the house, all these mighty men in the blue shirts, our cameramen, our worship team, those who can't watch the service, they're watching on a Wednesday morning because they were in Grace Kids and they missed both services. Thank you for sacrificing to serve this house because we can't do this if you don't do what you do. And so thank you for serving the Lord in the way that you serve the Lord. Thank you for the way that you give to the mission of God. We've got this crazy vision to plant churches and extend the kingdom of God and win Washington, D.C. to Jesus. This vision that's beyond us that we literally cannot do without you and yet you have rallied yourself to this vision that God has called us to. You have called yourself family with us and said where y'all are going, I'm going too. I rock with you. And I go like, you don't even deserve that. But thank you for getting the vision of God for your life. Thank you for the way that you love our pastors and you love our staff personally. Thank you for the way that you have cared for me and my wife, the way you love my children. You always ask about them. I can't tell you the depth of gratitude I feel for you because I've never felt alone one day doing this. I feel hemmed in by a great cloud of witnesses. So thank you deeply and genuinely. Thank you. Many of you persevered and stayed with through a massive transition of leadership. Thank you. You're giving two young guys 
a shot to be all that God called them to be. Thank you. Now, don't we all feel better? Don't I look better rested? I'm going to the gym tomorrow, baby. I'm ready. (laughs) There are such positive near-term and long-term effects of expressing gratitude. And just a quick tangent, because I can hardly ever preach without talking about marriage, but husbands and wives, you want to stop fighting? Start saying thank you. And don't say thank you like, thank you for doing the job. Say thank you like specifically, get particular, get obnoxious about it. Honey, you drive every day 47 minutes to work in that janky old car that you got when gas is everything it is. And I just got to tell you, thank you for working with all those people at work that they can't stand you and you can't stand them. But you come home every day. And listen, even if he's got a bad attitude about it, just thank him anyways. We don't need to get specific and particular. I mean, like about the bad stuff. Just highlight the good. Husbands, tell your wife, thank you, and how much you love her for the specific things. And please don't start with how good she looks. Get there. You could talk about it. I'm just saying there's more to your wife than that, and she wants to hear more from you specifically about the little things you notice in her life that she does to serve you, to serve your household. You want to change your relationship with your spouse? Start saying thank you. You want to stop being mad at God? Start saying thank you. Find a reason to be grateful. If there's anything that God has done for you once, find a way to be thankful for him. First Thessalonians, Paul writes, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in what? All circumstances, for this is the will of God. Do you understand the profundity of that? God's will for you is to express gratitude every day of your life. He wants you to live a thankful life, a gracious life, and to give him the honor that is due for who he is and what he's done. Now, I've got to say this because when you're in a season of shaking, man, gratitude is not the emotion you feel. And yet expressing it and finding it is one of the most important things you can do. When you're in that season, often what the feeling is, is what's there to be thankful for? My wife don't like me. Job laid me off. Ain't got no money. What do you want me to be? We're like singing the blues out here. Like my dog died. My car's broke. What's there to be thankful for? And I get that. I think in some way we've all been there before. But that response exposes the hidden nature of the heart which is that we are far more concerned with what we don't have than with what we do have. And we're only looking at what hasn't happened yet instead of what does exist currently and now in the present. You know, this is what got the prodigal son's older brother in trouble. The older brother in the story of the prodigal son, all he could see was his sinner of a brother returning home after squandering the wealth of his father. And now he's coming to get a ring and a robe and some sandals and a fattened calf And all the brother could see is what he didn't get. Not that he had access to that the whole time. And so what caught him in the trap was looking over the fence to see what hasn't happened instead of fixating his mind on what has happened and what he did have. And when your eyes are only on what isn't right or what hasn't happened or what you don't have, it's really hard to see what you do have. And it's even harder to appreciate God for all that he has been. You know, they say you don't want to be a has-been. But can I just tell you, we have a has-been God, 
A God who has been faithful, he has been kind, he has been generous, he has been patient, he has been long-suffering, he has been a redeemer, he has been a restorer, he has been my healer, and what an unchangeable God always has been is what an unchangeable God always will be. So if you can't find one thing to thank him for, you better look backwards over your life and say if there's not just one thing that I can say, God, thank you that this next breath, oh, it worked in my heart, oh, is still beating and today I stand on my feet in the house of the Lord so I got a lot of mess in my life but Lord thank you that the sun is shining thank you that there's air in my lungs thank you that your son died for me thank you that you have all the power and authority in heaven and can somebody find one thing to thank God for in this place and just say thank you God thank you God we express gratitude to you Jesus And we thank you for who you are and what you have done and who you always have been. A heart of gratitude doesn't live in the future. It lives in the past. Looking back and remembering who he is and what he's done. And when you pause for a moment in the middle of your shakeup and you remember what he's done, there's only one response, which is thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That unshakable gratitude unlocks an unshakable faith, which unleashes an unshakable praise. (laughs) This is how this passage ends. It says in verse 29, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The response to the reality of the unshakable kingdom of God is gratitude followed by worship. And what does gratitude and worship do? Gratitude and worship lead us into the presence of God. This is Psalm 100. Take a look. This is how this works. The psalmist is very clear. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Let me say it again. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. There is an increasing level of intimacy that occurs when you express gratitude and worship to God. The more you express it, the closer you get to him. The gates would be like the gates of the city or the gates of the temple. Almost, if I can say it, as like almost the outer presence of God. It's the area where the presence of God resides. So you come in through the gates saying, thank you, Lord. But to get into his presence, you got to bring a praise. And you don't have to have all the faith in the world to bring a praise, but you can just praise him for one thing you know to be true about him. Because I don't want you feeling like, well, if I can't, if I don't have the joy of the Lord to lift up a praise, then I can't get into his presence. No, 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 no. But what I'm saying is, there's got to be something where you go like, God, at least I know you're good. Are you there? God, at least I, at least I know you're faithful. Are you there? And it's with that praise, even a little one or a big one like we have on today, that brings you into the presence of God. And that is the place the devil wants to keep you far from. The first thing he's after is your worship. The devil wants to keep Jesus' name out your mouth. That's what he wants to do. And so he will do whatever he can to keep you out of what God has called you into and what God desires for you. And you know what he uses chiefly for this? He primarily uses fear to keep you out of the presence of God and to keep a praise off of your lips. He keeps you looking at what isn't instead of what is. You know, I said there were four things that shake earlier. I left out a fifth one. There's another thing that shakes, which is things that are scared. And when you feel fear, you shake 
and you quiver. And the devil knows that fear will stop you in your tracks or it will put you on the run. This is why he works so hard to keep you afraid of things, to keep you in the dark, to keep you anxious, to keep you looking at what might be, what could happen, what if, and what if, and what if, and what if, because he knows that if you are afraid of life, it's really hard to praise God. It's really hard to come in terrified about the diagnosis and about the life situation and go, yay, Lord, I love you. Like, I get it. That's, that's hard to do because he's trying to keep you in fear. But can I also remind you that you are not the only thing that shakes when it gets afraid. Because the Bible says that the demons believe in God. And when they think about the power of God, they also tremble and shake down to their core. And at the name of Jesus, they go running far from you. So what's the first thing the devil is going to come for? He's going to come for your praise on your lips. Because if he can keep the name of Jesus out of your mouth, he can occupy all the space he wants in your life. But once you start lifting up the name of Jesus, he's got no choice but to go running away from you. And you can get close to the presence of God in your life. So what's the first thing he's coming for? He's coming for your worship. He's coming for your praise to keep you bound up in fear because he knows what he's trying to get you to forget, which is that he can't stand in the presence of God. Only you can. We were, we were praying this week as a staff, and um, our music director, Darian, he had a word that they felt the Lord was impressing on his heart, and he came up and he shared it with me, and he should, then he, I had, we, uh, we had him share it with the staff, and I just want to share it with you today, because it's right in vain with what we're talking about today. In Luke 9, there's this little boy who's, uh, who has a demon, and it's a nasty demon. It's a demon that, that, that grabs him, throws him down to the ground, throws him in the water, trying to drown him, throws him into fire, trying to kill him. And the father is at his wit's end. He doesn't know what else to do. He's desperately concerned for his son. And so he asks if Jesus could come and heal his son, if there's anything that Jesus could do for his boy. And the Bible says in Luke 9 that it's as he's coming close to Jesus, as the father's bringing the boy nearer to the one who can deliver him, as the father is bringing the child who is bound up in, uh, with a demon, as he's bringing him to the one who can set him free, it's as he's getting close to Jesus that the devil grabs him again and throws him down on the ground. Because sometimes when you're getting close to God, the devil tries extra hard to keep you out of his presence. He'll throw everything he's got at you because he knows if you take a few more steps closer, you might just find freedom. You might just find healing. You might just find deliverance. So whatever I can do to keep you out of the presence of God, I'm going to do because the devil cannot stand you finding what God has for you in him. And I'm just saying, if your life feels shaky... Maybe it's because you're getting close to the will of God for your life. Maybe all the stuff that's happening around you is because you are on the verge of the breakthrough you've been believing for. You are right up against what God has for you. There's another season about to start and the devil is saying, whatever I can throw at them, I'm going to throw at them to keep them back. Because he is terrified of the thought of you getting into the presence of God. Because if you get into the presence of God, you will see God as he is. 
You will be confronted with his power and his glory, his miracles and his grace, his mercy and his loving kindness, that he is all things that we need in him. He has all power and authority over everything. And if you get close enough to him, you will see him as he truly is, which is an all-consuming fire, which means that if you get close enough to Jesus, you'll get close enough to find out that your God is big enough to consume everything that's consuming you. Everything that's got you bound in fear, that God will burn it up in an instant. There is nothing that can stand before the Lord your God. Oh, he might speak in a whisper, but the Bible says his voice thunders like the sound of many waters. He might show up in the flickering of a tongue of fire, but he will also come down as a pillar from heaven and lick up everything, including the water and the sacrifice. He is lamb, yes, but he is also lion. And the devil knows this. And he wants to keep you right where you are, afraid and out of the presence of God. So what do we do? We practice gratitude, even in the midst of the shaking. And we go, God, I might not have a lot to be thankful for, but I got at least one or two things. And we start by thanking him. And I wonder if you this morning have just something you can thank him for. Or maybe you need more of his presence in your life and you need something, you got something to praise him for. Like could we just for a moment, wherever you're at, whatever you're looking at in your life, whatever season you're in and whatever you're going through, can you just find something to thank God for? And if you don't have a good praise, the Bible gives us a perfect praise. It's just the word hallelujah. Hallelujah is the highest praise. And when you don't have words to say, you can just say hallelujah. And if you don't know what to thank him for, just say thank you. Just say thank you because he knows what he's done. And he knows what he's been. And he knows how he's helped you. And find as you thank him and as you praise him, if something in your spirit doesn't begin to shift. And the dread that you felt facing the season that you're going into doesn't begin to melt away and fall away. Can you this morning, just for 30 seconds or so, can you just thank the Lord in your own words? You can clap, you can sing, you can shout, you can say hallelujah, but you can just worship him for a moment and just thank him for who he is. God, I thank you because you have been faithful to me even when I have been faithless. You have held me even when I've tried to get away from you. You have hemmed me in. God, I thank you because you've given me a beautiful wife and amazing children. God, I thank you because you've given me this church and the, the best friends that I've ever had. And God I, God, I thank you because Jesus forgives me for everything I've done, past, present, and future. And God, I thank you that your grace knows no limits. God, I thank you that your love knows no bounds. And God, I thank you that your mercy, it's new for me. Every single day of my life, I don't even need to go and find it. You just freely give it. God, I thank you that you have loved me with an everlasting love. God, I thank you that if I know you, I know love. And the love I've known in this earth is not a perfect love, but Jesus, you have a, a perfect love with which you love us. God, I thank you. Oh Lord, I worship you for you, seat you sit enthroned in heaven over every principality and power. You have dominion and you have victory. And victory is the portion that you have given us here in this life. And so Lord, I worship you. 
I exalt you, I honor you, and I lift you on high, for you are high and lifted up. You are worthy of our praise. You are the King of kings. You are Emmanuel. You are the Ancient of days and the Rock of ages. You are the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And Lord, in this place and on this day, we glorify you, Jesus. And though the ground may shift and shake, and though the winds and the waves may beat against our life, and although it feels like there's a sudden shaking that we're happening in our lives, Lord, we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, and we firmly plant our feet on the rock of our salvation, knowing that with you, no weapon formed against us shall prosper, for you are preserving us, you are upholding us, and you are faithful to do it.